Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the world's smartest podcast network. When I go to Sacramento, I will pump up Sacramento. Sacramento. Some say the news is fake. Others say it's real. These two don't have the time to check. Instead, Turner Sparks and Michael Ira Kaplan turn to comics stationed around the globe to be their eyewitness reporters so that you can know what's really going on. This is Lost in America. All right, everybody, welcome to Lost in America, episode 314. My name's Turner Sparks. I am Mordechai Ben Yehuda Kaplan. Yes. But I feel like not, I needed I need a Hebrew name for this episode. We need today. This in the next hour, we're gonna get you a Hebrew name. We're gonna we're, we're gonna, gonna do one by the end of the episode. I will have a Hebrew name. You can find me at Turner Sparks on Instagram. You can find Kaplan at Cap in America on all social media platforms. Today, um, we have our good friend Daniel Pomerantz back on the show. So we're talking about uh, everything that everyone has been talking about in the past week, which is um, everything that's going on in Israel right now and uh, and Gaza and the whole thing. But what we're going to do is focus on Dan and his personal story. I feel like the news in this Kaplan, normally what we do on this show is we bring yeah. our audience a story that they know nothing about. Like, wait, what? There was a coup in Sri Lanka? <laughs> There's a place called Armenia. I didn't know that. There's actually a country. <laughs> Tell me about aware. this place. Who are these uh, yeah. fairy tale human beings? And <laughs> and it and so we usually Ecuador? go through the. This is who the prime minister is. This is what's yeah. happening in the elections. This is what these events just happened. We go through the beats, the actual nuts and bolts beats of the story. This week, complete opposite. You can get this <clears> story literally anywhere at any time. You can get the the overall beats of the story. We're going personal today. It would be impressive if you didn't know the beat to the story. You, uh, an impressive amount of stupidity or apathy or whatever you want to use the word. <laughs> there was a guy. The I think I've told you this story, Kaplan. But on the day of voting 2020, the Biden Trump election day, everyone yeah. in planet Earth was talking about this election. <laughs> Every uh, clear, Definitely everyone in Brooklyn, New York was talking about this election. I was standing in line to vote. This dude skateboards by. He's like a white guy with dreadlocks. <laughs> one of those dudes. He skateboards uh-huh. by and he goes, what the, what is <laughs> going on? Is there a new cupcake place? What's his yeah. line? <laughs> and I, I go, he comes up to, he just skates up to me. He goes, what is going on? And I was <laughs> like, this? today's, we're voting in the president. He goes, oh, that, that election things today. I'm like, <laughs> I wish I was you. I wish I didn't know yeah, anything about this. And if there is someone on planet Earth who's somehow listening to our podcast and has never heard of this story, it's almost enviable. Yeah, it's Just great to position to be in. Be so unplugged yeah. from planet Earth to not know. But no, I assume most of our people know. We also were talking about who we should get on a guest as a guest to talk about this story. And we decided a friend of ours. 
Let's have someone we know yeah. because this is ultimately this is personal. It's human. And we want um, Dan on here. So Dan will be on with us in just a minute. Uh, but before that, Kaplan, Patreon.com yeah. slash Lost in America. If you want to support our show, we put this out for free every single week. We've been doing it for seven years now and um, every week. And so to support us, to let us keep doing the show, to continue this show, go to Patreon.com slash Lost in America. Throw us five bucks a month. And we will read your name next week on the show. We will thank you on the air. You will also get access to our Lost in the Bunker is the name of the show. I almost said live in the book. <laughs> Lost in the Bunker, Full Throttle Comedy Podcast Show. That's me and Kaplan uh, making comedy about, about absolutely anything that's going on in the world. Including this story, because this Thursday we are, I'm hosting, I'm co-hosting with my rabbi, a vigil here in Long Island City for the, to, for the victims of this horrible terrorism attacks we're going to talk about in a moment. And, you know, not to make comedy of it, but I've got some local politicians who are heading for the hills who don't want to show up. So we will oh, really? talk to them on that show. Yeah, there no, there was one politician who said, I'd love to come, but uh, my wife is due. And we looked it up. His wife is due in December. So he's just what? making a, Apparently, he has, he's got he's on 24 seven. They don't it's, have, you know, it's we, too it's hot a, button if an issue for this guy. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, so I think, um, our good friend, uh, Dr. Andrea Jones Roy just sent us a study. I don't know if it was in the New York times or where, but it essentially said they went through every category. They, they polled Americans on what they thought on this topic and 90%, um, essentially sided with, uh, uh, well, I think everyone, no, no, 98, 94% sided with innocent people should not be dead. Uh, Wait, bold, there were six percent. There were six percent who thought that um, you know the Israeli people should die. Six percent of America. Right. That alone was enough to get uh, the, yeah universities. I don't think it, your local yeah. politicians to be like I don't know. It's too divisive. Ninety two to they ninety four. They're six. worried about that six percent. Yeah, yeah, they're worried about that six percent. They, they show up. <laughs> um, I also before we get on to this, we were talking off air about are you? Is there anything? Is there anything funny going on here? Dan was concerned that he didn't want to you know, come on. He was like, I'm not, and this might not be as funny as previous episodes. I found, yeah. uh, and maybe we'll bring Dan in for this one. Why don't we bring Dan in, everybody? Yeah, and, then, and then we'll get in. to it. Uh, Daniel Pomerantz, we're not, what, we, what we know about, normally we would say, what do we get right? What do we get wrong? What do we know about this topic? Yeah, we're this skipping is- all that. Daniel Pomerantz, you can all, all um, he is the CEO of Reality Check Research. Uh, check that out, everybody. You can find him on Instagram at Daniel Speaks Up, at Daniel Speaks Up. He's been, he's been putting out a lot of great stuff about videos. Um, videos about what's going on recently. Daniel, welcome to the show. Daniel's in Tel Aviv right now at his home in Tel Aviv. Thank you for coming back to the show. And it was great to see you a few months ago in New York City. How are you doing? Hey guys, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. I saw you at the New York Comedy Club. Mike brought me out. You were hosting. It was a great show, a good night. And, uh, you know, when Mike uh, first started talking to me about what's going on here, he, I mentioned that I was doing some work for Israel's uh, Ministry of Public Diplomacy, helping them get speaking points and stuff together. And Mike said, uh, Hey, do they, do they need any jokes? <laughs> and, yes. uh, and, and, you know, my first thought was, Well, you know, I, it's something we need. Like, I, I don't know how you find humor at a time like this, but if you could, like our souls just need it right now. So if, if we find a way to do that, like good for us. Let's get to you. So I want to start with just your story. October 7th. Um, where, where were you when all this, how, how did this 7th, news hit you? I woke up, 
I live in Tel Aviv. So I woke up in my bed in Tel Aviv. Uh, first thing I do after I wake up, brush my teeth, I, I do a meditation every morning. So I'm doing my meditation and I hear very faintly the sound of sirens. Sometimes you hear the sirens really loud if they're like uh, right next to you. But sometimes if it's in like a neighboring area, it might sound a little softer. But, you know, when you hear it, you still go to the bomb shelter. Usually when you hear a siren, there's a context. You know that like tensions have been ramping, ramping up, something's going on. And then the sirens start, you know, a few days later. That's usually how it happens. So when I heard this, I'm in the middle of my meditation. I'm like, that sounds like a siren. And then I'm like, that is a siren. And suddenly the thoughts clicked in my head one after another. The first thought is that's a siren. The second thought is there's no context around this because there weren't tensions wrapping up. The third thought is everything's just changed. And I got that in an instant just from that that little sound. So I wake up, I, uh, I go to the bomb shelter. You know, you're supposed to wait there for 10 minutes. The Iron Dome, which is the missile shield, uh, does its thing to knock down the missiles. It doesn't knock down all of them. So, you know, you still have to to go be safe. It's sort of like driving in a car. You don't think you're going to crash, but you wear your seatbelt. And uh, then after that, I checked out the news because I'm thinking, well, I want to understand what's what just happened here. And there were images of uh, Hamas fighters. And, you know, they're a terror group, but these guys are, you know, they're not like, you know, people who wear in rags and living in a cave. They're like, you know, very well trained. We think they were trained by Iran. If you look at them, they look like any regular special forces group with all the gear and stuff. And they were in a pickup truck driving on streets through Israeli towns. And some uh, people were getting it on their cell phones and sending it to the news channels. And that's something, you know, you don't see. That's like, imagine if like Al-Qaeda or ISIS was like driving down Fifth Avenue in, in you know, with full gear and and, uh, and weaponry. Like, and you, I saw that and I was just like, yeah, this is, uh, we've just entered a new reality right here. And then right after that, everything started catching up and, um, from there, it's, it's a very nine, you know, on nine 11, I was in New York, I was, uh, working at 59th and fifth. So I was not close enough to be in it, but still close enough to see the smoke and to feel, you know, at the time, nobody knew what was going to happen. We didn't know, is this going to spread to other buildings? Is it going to be all over? So there was no sense of like, well, that's down on wall street and I'm here. Like it was, you didn't know, but you did know that you'd grown up with this reality that America is the strongest country in the world. Nobody can attack us at home. And that reality got shattered. And we all felt this sense of insecurity because nobody knew what was happening or about to happen. And our thoughts about our America, our country and our safety had suddenly changed. And it was exactly that kind of feeling all over again. Like you just don't know and you're not sure if you feel safe even in your own home. And that was that was the beginning of it. I mean, there's a lot more to tell, but uh but that was the beginning, those events and that shift in feeling. What what strikes me immediately as a complete outsider in all this is how casually you just mentioned going to your bomb shelter. Yeah. So I think yeah. most places in the world, people don't just casually have a bomb shelter. Is that, yeah. is that a normal way of life? It is actually, sadly, um, but all buildings here are required to be built with bomb shelters and there's specs, construction specs on how they have to be built and what they need to be able to withstand. I'm fortunate to live in a modern building where the, the, the bomb shelters are very good and they even have equipment in there for protection against biological and chemical attacks. I don't know if you guys remember that in 1991, Saddam yeah, Hussein was firing it. stud missiles 
And at the time, the, you know, the intelligence was saying they might be tipped with chemical weapons. So everyone was worried about that. And everyone had their gas masks. And, yeah, go for um, so that hasn't been an issue in a while, but we do have the equipment in the bomb shelter for that. And it was really cute. I, uh, my friends in America, like you guys, you you're, we're, we're asking questions. So I made a little video, I'll actually send it to you guys. You can share it with the pod if you like uh, a we little will. video of me, uh, you know, when a siren went off and I uh, said, all right, I'm in my house. The siren's gone off. I'm going to go over to the bomb shelter now and you're going to come with me and, you know, follow me in. And we get to the bomb shelter and people have their dogs there because you take the dog with you because, you know, if something happens, you don't want the dog in your apartment where they're dangerous. And my friends who are uh, who, who have kids, I, they were telling me their kids were just so relieved to see that the dogs were in the shelter because that's what they were most worried about in Israel is who's taking care of the dogs. Just some, something about seeing the world through the eyes of kids, you know. Sure. Um, um, but the, the way it works is um, you have uh, Israel has this a massive system of radars that detects a launch and immediately calculates the trajectory. So the moment it's launched, it automatically sets off an alarm in the place in the country where it's heading. So it launches launched from Gaza a few seconds ago, but instantly in Tel Aviv, which is 60 kilometers away, you already have sirens and not just in Tel Aviv, but in the right part of Tel Aviv. So it's very accurate. Really? From Tel Aviv, you have 90 seconds before the rocket gets here. So that's how much time I have from when I hear the oh. siren to get to the bomb shelter. Where is the bomb shelter? Is it, God you got to, how fast is it to get there from your building? Like what floor are you on or what floor is the? Or, well, in my building, I, I live in a high rise. We have bomb shelters on every floor. Oh, every floor. Okay. And really? basically the, the core of the building, which, which has the elevators is built to be able to withstand this stuff. And so that core includes on every floor, these bomb shelters, like theoretically you could blow up the building and the core would stay standing. I mean, I guess it depends on what you hit the building with, but that's uh, up to a certain tolerance. It should be able to handle you, that. You don't need like a key fob or anything to get into that. Like everyone can just. No, no. In, in fact, there. we keep the the door during peacetime, you know, they close the doors and some people's uh, homes. They use it as like a storage for bicycles and stuff. Right, but right, but right now they, we, they actually keep the door open so that you don't even need to open the door. You just walk right in. And uh, now some people's home, some people actually have them in their homes. Like the kid's bedroom is also a bomb shelter, but it's decorated in a way that you can't really tell. But just wow. the walls are thicker. Um, and uh, some buildings, you have to go all the way downstairs. And these are usually low rise buildings. You might live on the third floor. You got to go all the way down. I'm fortunate in mine. I, I don't have to go down. So I get 90 seconds, which actually is pretty good. Like in 90 seconds, you can put on your shoes, pick up your keys, do what you need to do. But in the South, in places like Stayrot, because they're closer to Gaza, they only have about 15 seconds. That's one five. I mean, and in 15 seconds, well, the toughest thing, and this is, uh, this is literally happened is that, you know, like if you're a parent and you got your kids playing in the yard and one of them's like over here and the other one's over there, you got to pick a favorite seconds. Yeah. 15 seconds, enough time for you to pick one kid yeah. uh, if your kids aren't old enough to, to run over by themselves or to know, you know what to do. So uh, I actually feel, you know, very fortunate to be in a place where I've got it right on my floor. Got 90 seconds to get there. You meet your neighbors. We get to talk to each other a little bit. You meet the dogs. Um, sometimes you make some jokes and make light of it, you know. But, uh, and when you're making the jokes, you're kind of you're kind of really just hiding the fact that you don't feel so, uh, so humorous, but you, you make yeah. jokes anyway, just to kind of sure. lighten the mood. And, um, you guys should be there. We, we could use do, an ass. Do you Kaplan, every, well, I would wait. bring my dog. She'd be great. I was going to ask Cap, which kid would you pick? 
<laughs> well, Ruby went on a walk. That's a lot of walking. A 90 second walk, she'd be like, I'm out. I'm not walking that far. I'll take Ruby my chances. Ka- Ruby Kaplan wouldn't walk. <laughs> yeah, it's too far. But uh, my dog I'd carry. She would be a great therapy dog for people. But are you saying, I have one question. You said every building's required to have a bomb shelter. Is that the whole country or is it by municipality or? I know every country, every building is required to have a bomb shelter. My brother says his building doesn't have one and he's in Jerusalem. Well, it might be an old building building. before they started. Yeah. Get a lawyer. So if you're in an old building that doesn't have one, uh, what you got to do is go stand in the stairwell because structurally it's a little bit sounder. And and basically the idea is you're really not thinking about a direct hit because in a direct hit, like it might not be much you can do. But shrapnel is like a direct hit is in one spot, but shrapnel spreads out everywhere. Yeah. And so that's really your statistical chances of being in the way of shrapnel are a lot higher. But also it's it's more possible to protect against shrapnel with some thick walls. And uh, what you said that it it the way this system set up, it can detect. Is it within a few square blocks or a few square miles or how how accurate? Like if if, if the siren goes off and also when you initially said sirens, I was, I didn't realize you meant, you mean there's a specific sound of a siren that means it's, a missile. Right. Coming. It's not an ambulance yeah. siren. It's not it's an like ambulance, a, not another thing. It's an, it's a siren. Um, and yeah. How, when you hear that, do you know it's, this is within a half a mile or this is within like how close? Yeah. Well, first of all, if you hear it at all, you know that, that you go to the bombs. You don't start thinking, Oh, is this really for my area? Or is it for another? Like that's yeah. close enough for you to hear it. You go. And uh, it's basically in terms of like parts of the city. So like the New York equivalent might be, you know, uh, Upper East Side, uh, downtown Wall Street or Midtown Wall Street, Upper East Side. Like that's about the size of the distinction um, there. That's pretty detailed. Yeah. Like pretty specific. Yeah, they they do pretty well. They, They do pretty well with that. I mean, they can't be completely accurate because, you know, these are. I mean, they're, they're ballistic, uh, objects. They get, you know, wind affects them. Other things can affect them. So you, you can't tell exactly, but the, you can calculate the trajectory and, uh, yeah, the sound is distinct, but the weird thing is the beginning of this, like it starts with a, a low sound cause the thing revs up and goes mm-hmm. like, kind of like that. And the beginning of it sounds very similar to the sound of like a motorcycle revving up mm. and, so what'll happen is for like a couple months after something like this, every time you hear a motorcycle speeding up, everybody stops and looks around. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I send you my uh, video, you guys will you'll hear hear the siren in the background. You get a sense of what that sounds like. Um, and what about so we've been seeing this. I'm sure I know you guys have all known about this a very long time and you've lived with it. But I think a lot of the world is starting to learn about this Iron Dome, which is. I've seen these like videos are insane to see on TV of these missiles flying into Tel Aviv and then exploding in midair. And yeah. it's the Israeli military kind of intercepts the missile in air on, while the missiles on the way into attack and, and a uh, Israeli missile will fly into the air and knock it out of the air. How, uh, what's it like to live with just, in walking down the street and missiles exploding over your head or is that the way or am i describing it incorrectly well yeah i mean it literally is it's like hitting a bullet with another bullet it's an it's insane the kind of tech that goes into that and you know during the gulf war in 1991 america had said to israel all right don't go attacking saddam hussein we gotcha and they sent the over batteries of the patriot yeah. but, but it didn't work it didn't work yeah, the, patriot the, the patriot and missiles the just kept landing everywhere yeah. but 
Yeah. Yeah. The Patriot missile was that concept of knocking down a missile with another missile, but it didn't work. And the, but the tech has gotten better since then. So, you know, you don't, you're not supposed to be standing around looking at this happening. Cause if you are, it means you're not in the bomb shelter. And oh. these, the iron dome isn't hundred uh, percent partly just because no tech is, but also partly because if you fire, sometimes they'll fire like 50 rockets at once. Right. It'll take out and 48 of them or something or what? Is yeah. It? It'll take out like 48, but it can't get all of them. You know, every, the, the figure I heard is that every iron dome missile, cause these are like smart missiles that are designed to like pinpoint hit these rockets costs like $10,000. And just to give you a sense, the last count I heard, which I think is already old new, old news. I think it's gone, gotten higher, but the last count I heard is that in the last week, Hamas had fired like 6,000 rockets at Israel. I think it's even more by now. So you multiply 6,000 by 10,000 Iron Dome rockets, like that gives you a sense, like the costs add up really fast. Um, but you can overwhelm the system. And that's why you, there there was a, some stories in years past of like, you know, some idiots like decide they're going to stand out on their rooftop and use their phones to to take a picture of the Iron Dome doing its thing. And it's like, it's great to have the pictures, but every once in a while, like okay. people like that die because the thing lands on their building and they weren't in their bomb shelter. You're, you're taking a, an influencer is taking a selfie of the Iron Dome. And next thing you know, yeah, the angel story. Yeah. Yeah, really. So, I mean, it's like, look, you can take chances if you want, but, um, but you're really not supposed to. And these days I really don't, I think people are, are, are kind of aware of the serious now you don't, you don't see too many people hanging around outside taking Iron Dome selfies this time. How often in your life have you gone into a bomb shelter? Like, does it happen um, once a month? Once since a I moved to year? Israel. Yeah. Well, in the last week, I say I've gone in an average of half a dozen times per day for the last week. Wow. Um, and since moving to Israel, which is almost 13 years ago, we've had, what, like, uh, I think maybe four um, wars or five wars that, that in- involved uh, having to go to the bomb shelter. Was one 2012, 2014. There were a couple others after. So, um, you know, in my lifetime, I, it's probably got to be at least a hundred times, I guess. Yeah. So it's something that happens when wars or uh, battles flare up, not something that happens yeah. just every week of every all the time. No, no, it's not. Actually, yeah, I mean, this is one of these things that I'm, I'm always people ask, you know, is Israel dangerous? And I would like to say yeah. to people, well, look, you know, we have normal life and I'll take a video. And it's like we, we're, you know, we got a city here with buildings and people. And, you know, it, it really is like most of the time it's normal life. Uh, I tell you, it's a funny thing. A, a few years ago, uh, someone asked me, you know, about is Israel safe? And so I did a little a uh, little bit of math. I looked at the amount of terrorism that took place in Israel in uh, the years 2000 to 2005, which is called the second intifada. It was one of these, it was like the worst period in modern uh, Israeli history. And that, um, and then I compared the total number of deaths from terrorism to the per capita deaths in my original hometown of Chicago during the same period. Don't do that. The number of deaths in Chicago from violent and not not deaths from everything, like not like cancer or whatever, but specifically violent crime statistics. And your chances of getting killed on the streets of Chicago are 14 times your chances of getting killed on the streets of Israel from that. Now, that said, at the time, the total number of Israelis who died from terrorism was around like four or five hundred people a year. And we just had over a thousand in a single day. 
So yeah, that yeah. just gives you a sense that this one event is a scale that's different, but it's also like a nine 11 thing. Like you, a lot over 3000 people died in America in one day on nine 11, but the next day that didn't happen. Like, so yes. America is not an unsafe place. It had an unsafe day. Yeah. Um, so how close that, that first day when you turn on the TV, how close were any of those events to you in Tel Aviv? Well, that's an interesting question. First of all, because first of all, Israel's a small country. It's yeah. basically like the size of uh, New Jersey. Is that about right, Mike? That's what they um, say. They I've say read that. They say. The I don't know if they I mean, includes... Yeah, yeah. It's a I'm a Midwest thing. guy, so to me, it's half the size of Lake Michigan. That's how I how I put it. Mm. But uh, so so nothing is far away. But from an Israeli point of view, when you live in Tel Aviv, you feel like you're an entirely different part of the country than the South, which is where this happened. So physically, it wasn't so close, although obviously rockets came. And, and since then, they were trying several hundred attacks by land, sea and air and, and all different parts of the country, which the idea thwarted because the just like 9-11, the preparedness went up, you know, very quickly. Um, and they also Lebanon's been trying to do some incursions in the border in the north. Tel Aviv is right in the center. So I'm not in the north or in the south. But that's how far I was physically, psychologically. Also, because it's a small country, everybody knows somebody. Hmm. You know, it's like it's like in on 9-11, everyone in New York knew somebody who, who who had died or was somehow affected. But not everyone in America personally knew someone here. It's like everyone knows someone who's either gotten killed or captured and I have friends who've gone to like multiple funerals in the course of just a week. So, and then of course, everybody has that post nine 11 feeling of like, am I safe? Am I not? Are things normal? Are they not? So in that sense, everybody psychologically speaking is pretty close. Are businesses open in Tel Aviv? Like how, how do you run a coffee shop if five or six times a day you're running into a bomb shelter, you know? Well, first of all, you know, you actually, I mean, I'll answer the question in a second, but, you actually can run a coffee shop because coffee shops are in buildings and buildings have bomb shelters. Uh, what, what you can't do is uh, go to, I have a friend who's real into uh, swimming in the sea. He likes open water swimming. He mm-hmm. likes to go down to the, you know, tell him he's got a great beach and in the sea. So he was going down there to swim and we were all telling him he's insane. Cause you know, if there's a siren while you're out there swimming, like you can't get to safety. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's nothing for you to do. So things like beaches and stuff are closed. Coffee shops and restaurants were closed for uh, a few days, but now here and there, I'm seeing them open up. Food stores remained open all the time. In the south, food uh, grocery stores were running out of food, but in the center and in the north, uh, they're they're still getting shipments and they're fine. So schools open? Walk around, they, what's that? They keep schools open, stuff like that, or are schools closed? Schools are closed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, they're doing that on a week by week basis. So I don't know what they'll do next. You could have school because schools, you know, have bomb shelters, but, you know, corralling all those kids is not, it's, it's a big logistic process, but it's, uh, it's one of these things. Um, it's, it's kind of like COVID in that, you know, you walk out on the street and there's sort of not a lot of people around. And I actually had this weird feeling like every time I walked into the store to buy food, I felt like I should be putting on my mask. Right. Yeah. Because the street's empty. I'm walking in. Yeah. You didn't think you could do yeah. it, but you got one out. Yeah. 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 yeah got a joke there. Well, I'll tell you, you know, um, I, it's also during COVID, like you want to, 
you, you want to go on a, if you want to go on a date and like COVID, it, like right oh, at the yeah. beginning, people weren't going on dates, but when we realized it was going to last for a long time, like, you yeah. know, You're people like, are human. So dating was like, you'd go to the park because everyone wanted to be outside. So you weren't going to like infect each other. Mm. Well, now you don't want to be in the park because yeah. you're not near a shelter, right? Bomb so shelter bedrooms. Yeah, you could have a bomb shelter bedroom or a lot yeah. of times people are just like, you know what, I'll, I'll just come over to your house. So it, the, the funny thing is like the thing a guy most wants to do on a date, which is yeah, trying to find go. a way to convince the girl to come back to his house. Now it's, it's like the girls are saying, I only want to go to your house. Don't even think about taking me out anywhere. Hey, right. And it's just like, all right, then. Mission yeah. accomplished. <laughs> bomb shelter day. boomers. Yeah. <laughs> to be single this time period. So, um, all right. He, we Go ahead, Cap. And then we'll take a break. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. You should take a break and then we'll move. Yeah. Let's, All right. let's we pay the bills. are going to take a break. We, uh, uh, we will be right back in a minute, but we are part of the World's Smartest Podcast Network. Everybody, that is us. That is the Political Orphanage with Andrew Heaton. That is Majoring in Everything Podcast with Dr. Andrea Jones-Roy. And that is us. Lost in America, subscribe to all of our shows, support all of these shows. I'm going to see Andrew Heaton this weekend in Texas, uh, Kaplan. So oh, nice. uh, a little rendezvous. So a shelter down there? A little <laughs> mini pod. Hopefully he doesn't need one. Um, yeah. But uh, by this weekend, who knows? And uh, that is it. And now, ooh, I believe it's a word from us this time, Kaplan. Now, a word, a word from, from us. us. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right. Thank you, us. Thank you, us. Yeah, we're great. <laughs> Paying the bills. What's funny is that is that ad will only be in for like two months. So if anyone listens to this anytime, or maybe even a month, anytime listens to this in the future, they'll be like, what are you talking about? But whatever. I want to get into, all right, we're back. I want to get into um, uh, just more of what the kind of, a, a little bit bigger stuff, but what, I, mean, I don't know if bigger is the word, but why, is anyone talking right now about why the, this was kind of a surprise, seemingly a surprise to the military and to the government. Yeah, the Has that issue come up yet failure. or is it kind of too soon? Is everyone still worried about their own? Is it like first stay alive and then we'll worry about that later? Well, people are talking about it, but people, you know, we're not really looking for it's not like there's a commission of inquiry yet. It's not the highest priority isn't to figure out where to point the finger. It's to get safe. I mean, it's definitely on people's minds. And, and that's also kind of what threw people. It was like, how could this possibly, how could it possibly happen? Like, I mean, there's, there's this fence there. The thing is all wired with electronic gear, like a bird lands on that fence and somebody knows about it, you know? So, and it wasn't exactly subtle. I mean, they, they uh, burst open the fence using, um, using, uh, caterpillar like trucks and stuff and and they also the the border crossings the the official ones they went and blew them up and shot all the guards like this was not subtle and it happened in multiple locations um the rumor has it and you know don't quote me on it because it's just rumor now but uh the rumor has it is that there was a cyber uh, attack and uh the cyber attack was done to um to disable 
uh, Israel's um, Israel's monitoring systems and and the systems that get that information to where it's needed. So and supposedly uh, Iran was involved in that because Hamas isn't doesn't have they that capability. But other, yeah, but but there are other countries that do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I was I was going to say that's what threw me. It's not just that they got in, but it seemed to me watch it was like hours went by before like Israel really responded. And I did. I mean, you, we've talked. It's a very small country. It doesn't take six hours to get you know down to the you know, south. So that is that is that because maybe of a cyber attack or something where they just didn't have the communications to know. I yeah, I mean, I'm speaking right now just on the basis of what seems to make sense because nobody's yeah. confirming anything yet. And also, you know, what, if there was a cyber attack, I don't think at this stage Israel would be wanting to admit that vulnerability just yet. So, I mean, it's like better to to seem like someone was asleep at the wheel than to seem like uh, you know here's a, a vulnerability that that a nation could exploit. Have you ever been down? You've been down. I mean, obviously, you've been down to the south and Negev, the area. But have you been to the area by the border before? Like, because I, I've heard yeah, that it's like this, yeah. this fence, but you know, I've never seen. You know, obviously, been there myself. So, is it as as secure as it's or was supposedly as secure as people have made it out to be? Well, it's just a fence, you know. Right. Um, I mean, it's a it's a tall fence and it's like a double layered fence. Uh, but it, what makes it secure is not the existence of, a, you know, a thin layer of wire. It's it's that the whole thing is built with sensory equipment. So, you know, you try to get through that thing. Some, like I said, a bird lands there and like somebody has to send a unit out right. to, uh, to, to, to inspect and possibly fight the bird. So that's that it's secure in the sense that you, you can get through, but you can't get through with any kind of subtlety. Right. And, and like the paragliders and those, I mean, is that just thought of that, like, people were confused by, like, what the hell is this going on right now? Like, I mean, normal, are you supposed to be shooting them out of the air? Like, what What was the, because that, well, that's you know, talked about a lot. I mean, the, yeah. You know, I mean, at the time, there was a lot, like, I don't think the it never occurred to the IDF that someone could use a paraglider. I mean, for that matter, you could use, like, a pogo stick or something, you know, you could. Right, like, right. right. I, but I think a few things were happening at once. One is they sent a volley of rockets. And I think that's what I heard that morning was part of that initial volley that was meant to distract attention. And also they were breaching in a few different locations at once. And the cyber attack, again, I don't know for sure that there was or for sure that it was Iran. But assuming that's true, I would imagine that they had disabled not only the sensors and the fence, but probably a lot of the communications and the IDF systems so that you could report the information Probably they disabled some of the radars that would have detected people coming from the air. Um, it, it's the only explanation I know of that that could could really fit here. Yeah, because I was but, I mean, a lot of a lot of conspiracy minded people were getting with the, there's no way Israel would allow this. They have such good security. They're doing this as like like people were starting to say like like a false you know like and then it's like but then you see like 1,200 people are dead and you're like there's no way that's the sickest that would be the sickest conspiracy I, I can imagine. So it has Captain, to be what you're saying just for people who might not follow. Cause you kind of cut yourself off in the middle of these. Is that uh, you're saying that this is something that Israel government allow Israeli government allowed to happen so they could go in and take Gaza. Well, is there's yeah, people have been saying that like, they're like, I can't, I've heard multiple people say this to me. Like, how is it even possible that Israel with this great security would have allowed this unless they did it intentionally or they ignored some warning intentionally, hmm. which is a crazy thing. But like, and that's why the, the, te- the cyber aspect of it, I, which I haven't heard before makes a lot of sense. That's yeah. like the George I mean, I Bush remember, 11 crowd. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a, a kind of thing. I mean, I haven't heard that, that conspiracy theory here, but I'm not shocked that, you know, you might be hearing yeah. it elsewhere. But the thing is, you know, the people who, who 
did this have been saying that this is what they want to do for decades. They've been trying to do it for decades. And now they have the what's changed is they have an increasing amount of support from large, sophisticated nation states. And the idea that a nation state that is sufficiently motivated could figure out a way to do this really is not that far fetched. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's not just like a but because people here are like stupid. They think it's like it's a bunch of like rom- they romanticize like, oh, they just like put some paragliders on and flew over. And, you know, it's like it was way more complicated than that, obviously. So, yeah. When you're anyway. saying people, yeah, yeah, you there's, mean there's Black Lives on. Matter of Chicago? Is that who you mean? I mean, definitely? idiots we were talking about earlier who are protesting in the streets and are making like they're, they're, oh. they're having their pro Hamas protest where they have the paraglider image as like it's like their symbol of resistance now, like. This was our. You yeah, know. that was Black Lives Matter Chicago. Uh, what I what I found, uh, I just to put into context what we were talking about earlier is how how close, how small Israel is. I looked it up. It You guys, in, you're in Tel Aviv. It's about an hour drive from the border of Gaza. Is that correct? Yeah. OK. Right. Uh, an yeah. hour south. I mean, without traffic. Without traffic. Yeah. And then how far yeah. north would be. Because Lebanon now there's Hezbollah is kind of setting up on the border of Lebanon. How far are they to the yeah. north of you? That's a little bit farther. I think it might be closer to like uh, two or three hours, something like that. Okay. But we're but, still not talking large distances by American scale. Yeah, not large at all. So an hour south, you have one enemy and two or two and a half hours north, you have another. Um, and have they? Yeah. And also um, east to west. It's it's very uh, at, at Israel's narrowest point. You could go east to west in like thirty minutes. Wow! And then there are points that are wider, but at at the narrowest, that's kind of yeah where it is at its narrowest. What is there any update on the? I, I know we've we've heard in in the United States that there's warship U.S. warships are in the sea. Have you guys heard anything? Uh, yeah, about two that? Uh, aircraft carriers. The there's the Gerald Ford and the Eisenhower uh, carrier groups, and also apparently the British have sent some troops. My understanding is that uh, there's a concern about this escalating to other nations. Iran has threatened to uh, to enter uh, the fighting, and um, and also Hezbollah, which is the Iranian-controlled terror group that essentially controls Lebanon, has already been doing some little things, firing mortars and and shots across the border and, and attempting some incursions. So. Uh, I, I think there's an American interest in not wanting this to turn into an entire regional war or a world war. And, you know, bringing an aircraft carrier into the eastern Mediterranean creates a little bit of deterrence and maybe makes people think twice about trying to escalate in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think 2000 troops I saw are, are Marines are being sent to the area. So, what yeah, I mean, be- Israel has always Go ahead. Dan. I mean, Israel receives Israel receives foreign aid from America for the purpose of buying uh, military equipment. Incidentally, all that money by law has to be spent on American uh, manufacturers, so the money all flows back to America. But Israel prides itself on the fact that it has never asked a foreign country to put boots on the ground or risk lives for Israeli interests. And uh, the, these aircraft carriers are there. I mean, Israel really appreciates it and it's very touching. But at the same time, they are there for an American interest, which is making sure that the conflict doesn't uh, spread to multiple countries. And Israel still continues to be proud that it's not directly asking anyone else to put boots on the ground for us. So is that seen as insulting that the United States would put those warships there? No, no, it's, it's very much appreciated. 
but uh, but it's not like um it's not like Americans are going to be like paratrooping into Gaza or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's not like Americans are standing here in Tel Aviv guarding the 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 walls with you know with M16s. Like Americans are sort of playing this other role that is potentially beyond Israel's capacity, which is if multiple different countries yep. you know we don't we don't know what's happening on a global level but if iran is involved it could involve china could involve russia like these are things that are beyond israel's we think of israel as being very powerful mm-hmm. israel's very good at defending itself it's not good at fighting multiple global front warfare kind of things and so that's really where the us and the brits are coming in here is is to prevent that side from from becoming an issue yeah and i mean it does seem like israel can I, I think it's understatement to say handle itself uh, in terms of Gaza and will be doing that is currently doing that and will be in the next few weeks, which brings up a question. What? And if you don't know the answer, that's fine. If this is a question for the government, but what do you, what does a victory in this war for Israel look like? Yeah. Well, I can tell you what, what, what I know is that the government has officially declared the strategic goal of eliminating the Hamas organization which is notable because for something like 20 years, almost 17 years, Hamas has been in power. And there have been a number of wars or sub-wars, we call them operations, since then. And in none of those cases did Israel ever declare that as a goal. And these things always end. The goal was always to restore calm, to achieve a ceasefire, that sort of thing, and or to restore deterrence. That was always the stated goal before. And the result is that Hamas has stayed in power for this long. And in retrospect, it may have been a mistake because they had a lot of time to grow and to arm. And it may have sent the message that there are certain things Hamas can get away with and uh, and not have to worry about its own uh, existence. And Hamas, you know, they're not it's not great to live under Hamas. I mean, I do not envy Palestinians in Gaza at all. It's sort of like, you know, when when the coalition forces attacked ISIS in Syria, no one was being like, oh, no, we're, we're bombing Syria. And people were like, thank goodness we're finally getting ISIS out of Syria because they're not good for the Syrians as well as you know for anyone else. And that's there are, on the one hand, a lot of Palestinians who support Hamas, but there are a lot who don't. And even the ones who do support them suffer tremendously under them. And so this campaign right now is about getting Hamas out of power. But that does bring up a question is, you know, what happens on, on day two yeah. uh, after after this is over? Uh, I, I I don't think Israel has a desire to, I, I think it would be a disaster for Israel to occupy Gaza. And it would be also a disaster for Israel to not occupy Gaza because then who will? And I've heard some rumors and I don't have, again, this is you know, I don't have a solid basis for this, but I've heard rumors that there were some discussions about maybe creating a multi-country uh, presence there that would include like Jordan and Saudi Arabia and Qatar and, and others who would sort of jointly manage Gaza. And then you would have an actual national leader and a government that, that you could turn to. And, and these countries all have relationships with the United States. So when there's problems or someone you could talk to that. So that's one thought that that, that might be out there. But uh, definitely, you know, you think about Iraq. I mean, Saddam Hussein was was no picnic for anybody. But it's sort of like the one thing worse than Saddam Hussein was not Saddam Hussein, because then yeah. they had everything else, More including chaos. ISIS. Well, you have yeah. either I mean, an occupation. Well, what I guess a United States staying long term, or if you and then when that does, if you want to go to Afghanistan, the second we leave, then it's a power vacuum, and then it's worse than ever. Um. 
Yeah, yeah, these are, are not easy. I mean, you the, go back the to Palestinian World War Authority. II. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. Say you go back to World War II. Uh, we had some success with Japan and Germany, and, and they've grown to be mm. really effective, successful democracies. But um, you know, I don't. But the thing is, Germany had a history of democracy before then, and so there was something to build on. And uh, Japan had an emperor, and once the emperor made the decision, yeah, we're going this direction. Everyone kind of followed suit. The Middle East is is a little more chaotic and doesn't have that tradition of democracy to build on. And I was going to ask, though, the Fatah is the Palestinian Authority. The others, right, they control the West Bank from lack of a the, – yeah. they have no presence in Gaza or they just don't have any – No, they they use – officially prior to 2007, they uh, controlled the West Bank and Gaza. In 2005, Israel pulled out of Gaza. I don't know right. if everyone knows this. There's no occupation in Gaza. There's no – there's no Israeli people. There's no Israeli homes. There's no Israeli troops. There's not even like any Jews in Gaza. They pulled everything out in 2005. Then in 2007, once there was no security, Israeli security presence there, um, Hamas had, had won uh, a number of seats in the Palestinian parliament. So they were a popular party. They had a majority, but it didn't mean they had 100 percent. So then they, they started trying to kill everybody in the opposition party. And Fatah was also doing that, too. And what happened was in the West Bank, Fatah killed most of the Hamas people. And in Gaza, Hamas killed most of the Fatah people. So that left the, the PA and Fatah in charge of the West Bank. And it left Hamas in charge of Gaza. But, but now we're, we're post-election. Now they've, it was an election plus a bunch of murder resulting right. in just a dictatorship. It was a 16-year-ago election, and they have not had an election since then, right? <laughs> and they haven't had elections since. And that's, yeah. So that was 2007, and yeah. Hamas has been in control there since then. And Are Fatah they- has... Are, no are they still counting there. the votes or why not? Um, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's still uh, yeah, there's no and there's no other party. I mean, not to get too into the Palestinian ele- like there's nobody else who can step into the power vacuum, I guess, once we or once Israel kills all of Hamas. And, well, it depends what you mean by party. I mean, there's right. Palestinian Islamic Jihad. There's the Al-Aqsa Martyrs Brigades. Mm. There's the Popular Front great. for the Liberation of. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's groups like that. Is there a um, gr- there's no Green Party? No libertarians. <laughs> yeah, democratic <laughs> socialists party. of America. Yeah. Oh, oh, that's that's uh, the popular front for no. <laughs> they could probably get yeah. in. So, so it's so I guess when you're what I was gonna like people in the to say to what Turner was saying earlier, like like if you're in the bomb shelter talking about this with people, are they like do people expect Israel to really eliminate all of Hamas, or is it kind of like a we're gonna get most of the main leaders and show some sort of victory, but then pull out kind of expectation? I think the expectation now is that it sh- should be something like Al Qaeda. I mean, I guess technically somewhere in the world, there's some tiny pockets of people who claim to be Al Qaeda, but as an organization, it essentially doesn't exist. It, it, right. it has no ability to act anymore. And I, that my, is, is my impression of, of the goal of, of, of Israel to get to the point where as an actor on, on the political stage, they, and, and military stage, they no longer exist. And what about the leaders? Like they, everyone keeps talking about that guy in Qatar or Qatar yeah. who's sitting in a ridiculous. He's sitting in an ivory tower somewhere, going on TV every day, and he's the yeah. leader of Hamas. And this global day of rage. Go I nuts. mean, shouldn't he be dead? Probably. Is that yeah. an outlandish? Well, statement? I'll tell you what. It's it's a funny thing. The um, you know, uh, at first Hamas was bragging about this. They were proud of it. They were they were videoing it and sending the videos all over the world. 
You know, this was the largest loss of, of, of Jewish life in a single day since the Holocaust. And yes. much like the Holocaust, they were proud of it. Then they realized that not everybody loves death as much as they did, which apparently came as a shock to them. And so now their leadership abroad is is turning back and saying, oh, it was all Photoshop. They used AI to make it look like it happened. It was never really real. And it was like, I, well, I saw yeah, a comedian share that video. Like, I don't, I, 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 somebody on the left like thinks that's true. They said the IDF actually killed most of the hostages. The, the, the or the people. Wait, Cap, the, who said that? You can I, I don't say remember the name. name. I'll have to find. I don't you remember. Do. I just like, no, I, no, I actually don't. I, but I was going through our, you know, I see all these crazy people posting on Instagram, and somebody posted hurt, something that said, "Does her name start with an E L at the beginning?" No, it was, oh, it might, it might have been her, but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the IDF is a plan. It's, it's AI. Yeah. This is a, all these crazy theories people believe because they realize that, oh, wait, we don't get, except for on some college campuses and with some idiot comedians, people aren't, don't have sympathy for, you know, murdering 1200 people. So yeah, see, but that's Viciously. the thing in the first couple of days, they didn't realize that yet. No. So for a couple yeah. of days they were like hearing about it and then suddenly not, it but was like your question. It was like when, uh, um, remember after uh, Will Smith punched Chris Rock at the Oscars and then Will Smith went out and celebrated yes, that yeah. night and he was like, yeah, <laughs> punched him. And he was getting standing ovations up. at the Oscars. They gave him a full yeah. standing ovation. And then it wasn't until the next day when he went on Twitter and he was like, oh, most of the world was against this. And then he apologized. Anyway, that's my, <laughs> yeah. that's my yeah, analogy. It's like, how do you not, how do you not realize that? So, but to answer your question, Turner, uh, yeah, there, there are Hamas leaders in Qatar and other places too. The thing is, you know, I, I don't think Israel at this moment wants to open an entire front with Qatar. And, and I mean, that would be, you know, it would be another front and it would be going to war against a, a well-equipped country. But Israel has acted in other countries before. There was uh, a number of years ago, they killed some Hamas guys uh, in the Emirates in Dubai who were off there doing an arms deal. And then obviously we all remember um, Adolf Eichmann, who, who got uh, kidnapped in Argentina. He was the, the Nazi who uh, hadn't been brought to justice by the rest of the world. So Israel kidnapped him in Argentina and brought him, uh, brought him to trial. So, uh, so it's not out of the question that Israel might do something like that at some point. But, um, but there's, there's, it raises so many question marks, including what kind, of, what kind of role Israel wants Qatar to be playing here, if they're looking for them to be one of the powers that is is managing Gaza afterwards, and maybe they want to keep good relationships. It's just too many question marks. Why don't yeah. we just threaten they don't get any more World Cups? Let's start with that. Yeah, uh, Qatar, <laughs> since they, they just hosted one. I mean, apparently... they didn't allow beer. <laughs> yeah. They shouldn't get another one anyway. Yeah, and was that how Moscow at the games? I don't remember, but no, so, <laughs> he was, but he was sober, yeah. so well, it wasn't. Well, bad. Qatar's he wasn't drinking beer. <laughs> yeah. Qatar has been funding Hamas for a long time. And even when the World Cup was going on, I was a little bit like, oh, my God, this is it's one of these like that. That's not going to age well moments, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What about so you brought up a good point that um, the world didn't like violence as much as uh, as much as they had hoped uh, in Hamas. And uh, so now we're we are the the global media is starting to show more and more of what's, you know, Gaza and children being carrying out of buildings and all that stuff at, at what point does um, I, does the Israeli community and government care that the world is seeing this? Maybe it's like, we don't care what the global uh, the, how the opinions sway worldwide. We need to take care of this, this, we need to take care of this, this problem for us. Or is their thought like, well, we need to get ahead of this with the 
I guess, uh, PR or or somehow think about the death of of the of innocent people as we're going in and getting Hamas. Yeah, it's difficult thing because, you know, Hamas for decades has been integrating its military machine into the civilian infrastructure. And so you can I mean, there are rocket launchers literally in children's bedrooms and there's command and control literally in schools and in mosques. So it's very difficult to operate there in a way that's absolutely surgical. And it's sort of a Sophie's choice. Like if you blow up this rocket launcher, it could harm some civilians. If you don't blow up this rocket launcher, it keeps firing at Israeli civilians. And those are civilians, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, and. And then there's another issue, which is about 20 to 30 percent of Hamas's rockets misfire and land in Gaza. And that kills civilians. Right. And also Hamas puts out they don't always distinguish between fighters and civilians when they put out their their figures. And another thing is, you know, Israel issues warnings before attacks, which most countries don't do. And one of the warnings they gave is that people should evacuate Gaza City. And Hamas has been forcing people to stay there. And they've even um, there, there have even been some explosions along the evacuation route that did not come from the IDF. So it, when you see these stories, it, it's it's a human tragedy, but it's not necessarily for certain that Israel is is the causative force there. Um, nonetheless, it is a public relation, even if Israel didn't do it or even if Israel did it under circumstances that were unavoidable. Uh, it's still a public relations issue that Israel has to address. And I think, you know, that's that's sort of what I'm here for. I, I mean, I'm, I come from America. I, I speak not only English, but I speak American, which is to say the cultural language. I can advise Israelis on like, yeah, don't say that. That would be a great thing to say in the Arab world. Mm. And it would make sense to an Arab ear. It would not be a good thing to say to Americans. <laughs> and um, so I've been I've been working as hard as I can to try and get Israelis to see why my advice has value. And uh, and and believe it or not, this time they are beginning to listen. So hopefully we'll see your, what's an that. example I've of that? Said, or, yeah. would, or would that be the opposite of doing your oh. job to give us? An example? But I would love to hear. <laughs> well, no, I give it. well, I can give you an example of something that uh, that they didn't consult me on, which mm-hmm. was the uh, energy minister said that we are not going to let any humanitarian aid, not one drop of water, not one bit of electricity or food in until after the hostages are released. And to an Arab ear, that sounds strong. It sounds confident. It sounds like you're dealing with someone who knows what they're doing. And and it actually increases the chances of getting hostages released because it's a cultural language that's understood. But to an American ear, that just sounds like you're trying to. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like collective punishment. And there are other ways to very legitimately state that, one of which is you could say we can't take care of only Palestinian civilians and not Israeli civilians. Also, let's do this in tandem and not just do one or the other because Israeli civilians are there. Another thing he could have said is that Hamas has so thoroughly integrated itself that it's not possible to move humanitarian aid in without it going to Hamas. So we need the world to help us find a way to make sure these resources don't go to helping attack us. He also could have mentioned that uh, Hamas's water system, they dug up the pipes to turn them into rockets. I've seen the, those um, videos. Yeah. The, the crossings that, that used to have hundreds of trucks of, of humanitarian aid going through every day have all been blown up as part of the October 7th attacks. Hamas blew them up. So now we don't have a secure way to move things through because Hamas uh, eliminated that way. So there are all these sorts of things he could have said that would have made sense to Americans. 
And that's sort of where I, I feel I can play an important role is I'm not changing the reality of the message, but I'm just making sure they talk about the points that Americans care about. Yeah. And I've always said, despite we have all of our best as Jews, best publicists, I think, in Hollywood, because the state of Israel has always had a terrible PR. They've always they've, for years been releasing, not handling things pro- the best way. And so I'm glad that Dan is there talking <laughs> some sense to them because it is like in all seriousness, I was saying this to Turner last night. You know, as Jews were kind of trained that like, oh, CNN, don't always trust how they cover Israel. CNN and all those media channels have been just fantastic on this so far because this story is just that awful. Like they have, like there's no other side. And so Israel would be wise to, well, they need to go into Hamas and go into Gaza and do, do the business to be mindful of that. Cause you don't want to turn the popular opinion in the world against Israel if you can help it. So, well, yeah, you know, everybody loves a victim and, yeah. um, and, and That's Israel true. for that moment was, was a victim. Uh, but it is going to get I, even early on, though, I heard uh, heard some of the mainstream outlets saying things like there have been uh, over a thousand deaths on both sides. When at, at the time, the number of deaths in Gaza were like the, a dozen people and they were all fighters. It, right. It's like, I think and, they've gotten and, better and so as it's gone on, as they realized yeah. how bad it was. I think that the I think the public better. opinion, uh, I see yeah. those those polls that showed because the six percent of people in America who do did celebrate the death of is uh, uh Israelis. Well, what you find is they're very loud online, but they're a, a very small minority of, of American actual human beings. And yeah. Right. So I think once the mainstream, I think the media in this case sort of followed the lead of the people. Once they realized that's yeah. what, where the sentiment was, they kind of went with that. Cause the MSNBC who's very left uh, and by the way, Dan, I don't know if this news is making it through over there or if you, if you even care or if any, or they shouldn't. But um, a lot of that, most of that 6% is on the far left of the United States political yeah. spectrum. They, which typically the far left is the, you, uh, the compassionate side is where they kind of see themselves, mm-hmm. but not in this case. Um, but, but yeah, so I think with MSNBC is even not, which is a far, it was yeah, I don't know, far I think, left. They're left wing. They're, they're not, they're also um, showing a pretty fair, fair side of all this stuff. Uh, I did have I a question, which might be very, see, no. it might be a very dumb question. Uh, I'm sure it is to you, but so I have been reading, as you said, that they're <laughs> cutting off the water or, and something else. Is it electricity supply or something like that to Gaza? Well, they're not. The thing is Gaza never built its own power plants it diverted foreign aid money to that's my question why didn't why doesn't gaza have it if if they've been if hamas has been in charge since 2006 that's enough time to set up your own water system and electricity system i mean i'm not an expert on either one of those but i would think you could set it up so you're not reliant on the essentially enemy country to supply you yeah yeah believe it shouldn't exist country well there's a a, a video photo that i saw from uh a number of years ago, where the the electrical plant in Israel that supplies Gaza had taken some damage from a Hamas rocket. And so Israeli electrical workers were on the roof of that building trying to fix it. And while they were working, Hamas was firing at them, at the people who were trying to provide electricity to Gaza. So that's the sort of weirdness that's going on here. And and it's because Hamas want you know Hamas Hamas's only path toward good PR is to show victimhood, and yeah. so if they can make sure that electricity stays cut off, they're going to find a way to 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 do that. Sure, 
Um, it's kind of like, uh, I remember that, uh, you, to another parallel Castro, Fidel Castro always wanted the embargo. The embargo was like the best thing for, oh, Castro it was great for him. Yeah. Because he could stay in power as long as everyone blamed America and didn't blame him for the problem. Uh, if the embargo would have, yeah, it kind of sucks if you're uh, anyone other than Castro though. Right. Anyone of course the embargo was awful yeah. for the Cuban people, <laughs> yeah. but it was great for him personally. Um, go ahead, Cap. Yeah, no, no. I was going to uh, change gears a little bit and just ask you, do you have any, I mean, people, you know, who have been called up to the reserves who have gone down. Have you heard any reports back from? Oh yeah. Who are- yeah. Almost everybody. I mean, almost everybody who does reserves duty right now has been called up. It's um, and yeah, I've, I know a lot of people have been called. Um, I, I know a lot of people whose, you know, family members are there. And so, you know, they're, they're feeling worried. Um, I have friends who've been called up who are combat soldiers. I have other friends who are in intelligence units. Um, crazy thing that happened. The call up was so massive and so fast that the logistics units couldn't keep up with it. And so you had soldiers out in the field who like didn't have food because they hadn't gotten it out. The logistics unit hadn't gotten the food there yet. And uh, we've been, you know, there, there's all these reports about how, um, you know, the IDF doesn't have equipment and that's actually not true. There are individual soldiers who don't have equipment, but the IDF itself has it. They just haven't gotten everything to where out into the field just yet. But it is, it is a huge call up. I mean, if you think about like, right, I think the call up is, has been about 300,000 right now. Plus they have about 150,000 regular army. I mean, that's fully a that's fully five percent of the population of Israel. So if you are if you're a citizen, you everybody we know serves in the military and then you have to you join the reserves. How does this work? And you have to answer the call if you get it when you're well, not everybody, not everybody uh, does reserves. It depends on whether your particular skill is is likely to be needed after you finish your regular service. Uh, and they, uh, if it was me, and, they would they wouldn't put me in the reserves. I got no no skill, but yeah. It also depends on age. You know, after a certain age, they don't want you in reserves anymore unless you you're a career soldier who's who's become like a senior commander. But everybody who is of reserves age and and who is in a an area that that they would actually need, uh, almost all those people are, are being called up. And I think the reserve age goes to about forty or forty five, something like that. I don't think they would have wanted a 25-year-old Kaplan either, though. No. <laughs> I think Dan, no matter, knew me, Dan knew me at that age. I, uh, no matter what you, age. I did hear, Cap, people you should train? tell your daughter this, Ruby, that um, Taylor Swift's bodyguard just got just uh, flew back. I, I saw, I saw yeah, that. I saw that. He's, yeah. So there you go. He's, he's used to dealing. If there's any Palestinians who are just trying to like get close to people for autographs. Now, do you think these people will be protesting outside of Taylor Swift <laughs> concerts? she didn't know that's a good good question uh do they do the reservists do they train during the like uh, how does that work even because like i saw i know a lot of people in america who just got in a plane and they had to go buy their own tickets i guess and some there was people who were raising money for that and it's a crazy thing to me that you just leave your life and go back to fight but yeah people feel a really strong connection it's funny there, there were some israelis who were like looking for flights to get out and rushing to leave the country especially ones with small kids but there were even more israelis who were rushing to get in and trying to find a flight and can't afford a ticket who can help pay for my ticket that sort of thing um but training yeah reservists you know first you do your regular service for um for women, it's two years. For men, it's three years. Oh, I think recently they changed it so that went for women is now two and a half years. But if you're in some special unit, it might be more years because you need more training before you're even competent to, to work in that unit. 
And after that, people do reserves, depending on what your job is. It could be um, like a, a couple weeks a year uh, or something like that, um, or, or maybe may a few times a year for a week or two weeks each. And then like once every two or three years, you might have a larger call up for like a month and a half. And they do that partly to keep you trained so that you don't lose the skills and partly because there may be a need like they need even not in wartime. They, they supplement the regular army for like patrols or lookouts or whatever. And uh, so my friends who are in reservists, you know, they're, they, I, I remember them being called up frequently from time to time. And, you know, I used to be the CEO of a, a company with a, a, a pretty large staff. And, and one of, one of our guys was a, a combat soldier, really soft-spoken, thoughtful, sweet guy, graphic designer. And uh, they, they called him up. Uh, you know, I remember every year there would be a couple of times when he got called up and we had to make sure to shift all his work to other people. Um, but now, and, and usually these call-ups, like, you know, about it weeks in advance and you tell your employer and you get ready, but this obviously was a very quick call-up. So Dan, I would just, be a very valuable employee is what you're saying, because they would never call me up. So you, exactly. that be, that's when I would go in for the job interviews. I'd say, I'll never be called up. Don't worry about it. Hire me. <laughs> well, it's a funny thing about the Israeli army because, you know, basically everybody serves. There are some exceptions if you're like really religious or if you have some medical issue or whatever, but basically everyone serves. And they find something for everyone. And, you know, I did some volunteering as a, a civilian volunteer, you know, so I wasn't officially a soldier, but I was on the base. They gave me a uniform and I helped out wherever I could. So I didn't do basic training, but I mostly helped with logistics. So I was packing medical supplies and I had other bases where I was packing the kit bags for the, the soldiers when they have an emergency. Did you, did you and, pack lunches? You know, um, I, I never actually did, did kitchen duty. Um, but Kaplan uh, could make many hot dogs, but, you know, if they, <laughs> I was, yeah, I was offered that. that. I almost volunteered to do that like 20 years ago. And the guy's like, you, you know, you clean the Uzis, you pack lunches and it sounded so emasculating, yeah. but now that I pack my kids lunches every single morning, I'm a pro. I, I should, I should go to Israel and start packing some lunches. Yeah, you're a pro. Well, and I'll tell you what you like, you could make light of it. But the fact is, if you send 300,000 soldiers to the middle of the desert without food, yeah. you got yourself a problem. And yeah, suddenly Kaplan. the guy packing lunches becomes pretty important. There you go. They got to eat. Yeah. I have a question. I remember, uh, you know, when we first started talking, when I first met you, you were running Playboy magazine over there in Israel. <laughs> That's and right. I, I was with you guys in person in the, in the studio in New York. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I you wonder, you know, studio. Playboy's been in the news in the past couple of weeks for denouncing Mia Khalifa. Did you have anything to do with that statement? Oh yes. And I, <laughs> uh, I, I, I wish I could take credit for that. Um, but, uh, but good for them. Uh, that's, um, uh, yeah, you know, Playboy's undergone a lot of changes since I was there. Uh, almost all the people I know who, who were part of it, the organization at that time, this is already 10 years ago, uh, have moved on to other things and they've tried to rebrand and do different things. They tried to go woke for a while. I think they tried putting a trans person on the cover. They tried going non-nude. They've been trying all sorts of things. And trans. So oh, I've been wait, a little wait. bit out of touch with the inner workings of, uh, right. wait, there's there's trans. There was a trans Playboy magazine episode, uh, issue. Yeah, no, I mean not the whole magazine, it's but a whole different like trans model that you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's and it's a whole blue. different concept. I, I think they had this idea that you know maybe if they went that direction, it would uh, tap into the the woke crowd, and then then woke, didn't really work. Woke people are not buying those. Well, if they are, they're not telling people. Yeah, that's not why they get the magazine. That's, that's, <laughs> but that, that's, know, I feel like that's already a genre of magazine, isn't it? Like what? Trans, trans magazines, yes, yeah, yeah, it's the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't cancel saying it that way, but yeah, uh, 
<laughs> whatever the term. Yeah, you, like. guys no, are, fl- we should, you guys are you flirting should, with cancellation. Here. You should drop some Playboy magazines to the troops. And that should be part of your. I tell you what, no joke. In 2014, I did exactly that. And I sent it with one request that uh, if you get a magazine, send me a selfie of yourself, you know, holding it up. And I have these great pictures of guys like sitting on top of their tanks, holding a magazine with a big smile and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Send some Playgirl magazines for the female troops. And there you go. Support the troops. Yeah. I I can't believe Uh, I have a quote. I don't know if we got to it, but do you like, has there been any update? We were about because Hamas took the hostages. Right. And we all kind of assumed they were going to ask for prisoners. Um, but now they're kind of saying like, just stop shooting at us and we'll, Oh yeah. What do we'll they want? The what's their, yeah, what exactly, what's, what's their plan B? Yeah. What's or, step two of their plan? Two? You know, it's, it's not a hundred percent clear what they're thinking, but I'll give you my guess based on history. You remember the story of Gilad Shalit, or you might, if you don't, I'll tell yes. you, uh, about 10 years ago or so, uh, a young soldier named Gilad Shalit got, uh, captured right by the border with Gaza and they, they brought him in and they, they, kidnapped him. They held him for, I think it was several years. And eventually, uh, Bibi, who was prime minister at the time, negotiated a deal to get him released. And it was in exchange for something like a thousand prisoners, many of them who were security prisoners. And in fact, I heard a statement, I can't confirm this, that apparently uh, most of the high ranking people who planned this October 7th attack were people who had gotten released in that deal which has got to make you think uh, Gilad has got to be feeling awful right now and, and a poor guy because it's not his fault. But um, but I think it created this idea in the mind of Hamas that if you can get prisoners, you can stop Israel in its tracks and Israel will do anything at all. And so I think their, their thinking probably was, we're going to pull this thing off. We're going to get a bunch of captives. Israel's going to want to respond and maybe they'll shoot for a couple of days, but then they're going to get to negotiations and we'll end up still in power and maybe even in a better position because we'll negotiate getting some of our people uh, released. And, uh, and I think that certainly is not the mood of the Israeli public right now. And I, I think Hamas is beginning to realize that they may have miscalculated. Yeah, I mean, they, I guess, they, they, because like, correct me if I'm wrong, because Netanyahu is obviously this uh, a right wing figure. He's been around forever, but he's he's never really wanted to go into Gaza. Right. He's never been very comfortable with the idea of it's. You know they're going in now, and they're not they're not settling for just yeah. I don't know what what are they what are they even like? Do they think they'll release all these prisoners that are still left? Like is that the is that the actual you think goal or? I, well, the goal is is to um is that what happens should never happen again. Yeah, and the first step toward achieving that goal is is getting Hamas out of any sort of operational position to to destroy it as a functioning organization. That's the primary goal. In terms of getting prisoners out, I'm sure if they could figure out a way to release them using special forces, that would be ideal. Uh, then, you know, after that, there's negotiations, but negotiations could result in a situation where a greater threat remains for Israel for the future. Uh, so it, it's kind of not clear what's going to happen here. And obviously, I'm not one of those people who knows if Israel knows where they are or if Israel has a plan to get them. You know, that that's beyond my pay grade. Um, so I, I don't even have to sit here and say, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. I, I couldn't even tell you, but they probably, they don't have a lot of intelligence in Gaza, right? Because they, they pulled everyone out. So it's not like to be able to know where they are. I, I, I assume they would. They well, they too. I mean, they have, uh, you know, they recruit spies just like any country does anywhere yeah. in the world. And then there's uh, signals intelligence where they're listening in on things. And then, you know, they have, uh, satellites and drones and, uh, underground seismographs and, 
you know, all, all the things that every country does in different places. So they've got something, but you know, whether it's Gilad Shalit, you know, in years, they weren't able to find him. Right. Um, of course the tech has gotten better since then. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> Awful. Who knows? Um, well, Dan, you know? I think that is it. Thank you for joining the show, I'm my friend. Gonna... And uh, Kaplan, what's up? You got more? I was going to ask him, do you have any like organizations you would recommend for people to donate to as far as yes. who, who want to support a humanitarian aid or? Well, you know, it's all a question of what you're interested in. If, if you uh, are interested in Israel's image in the world, I can tell you our organization, Reality Check, is a 501c3 nonprofit tax deductible. And Israel urgently needs us now, and we're doing amazing work. Uh, if you're into supporting um, uh, MADA, which is Megan Davida Dome, they provide uh, emergency services. Uh, there are a whole wide variety of, uh, of charities related to uh, the IDF. Um, so, you know, it's really a question of what is, is a priority for you and, uh, and what you'd like to help support. Uh, but also I'd like to say, you know, I, I first of all, I want to thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to laugh a little bit today, because it's something that, that my soul needed and, and all of our souls need. Um, but I don't want anyone out there to think that, uh, that I'm making light of, of what happened. This is, is a serious situation. It affects us all the time. I spend most of my day really feeling the, the heavy weight of this. And just, you know, thank you guys for giving me like one hour to be able to just smile a little bit. Well, thank you, Dan. Yeah, no, we and we're on the same page. We're we're just trying to get through this. We've been doing our um, Patreon comedy show over the past you know couple of weeks or week or so. And we've been saying the same thing in the air. We're like, we're just we're going to be making jokes. These might not be about this. They might. We're trying to escape. We're trying to just get through this any way we can. The way we know how to is to try to be funny. And everyone needs to cope in their own way and get through it in their own way. And you're the one right yeah. in the middle of it. So thank you for joining us. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. I've been oh, telling my kids, I was just, I was telling them, you know, this is exactly how I, you know, they were asking me about nine 11 recently with the anniversary and what you do feel like. And I was saying this, this past week, plus this is, this is exactly how I felt with nine 11. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, our thoughts are with you over there. Thanks man. Yeah. And, and all, uh, uh, hopefully, you know, everyone, uh, gets through this as people as peacefully as possible. Uh, everybody check out Dan reality check research. You can follow him on Instagram at Daniel speaks up, excuse me, reality check research, research research.org. Okay, cool. And, um, it's, or yeah, there you go. 501 C three. Get your tax there deductions and, uh, yeah, follow him. people. Yeah. Years over. Speaks up on yeah, Instagram. Exactly. Yeah. Daniel speaks up on Instagram. I put stuff up uh, as often as I can. And uh, that's it. Kaplan, what should we do? I'm Yisrael Chai. Get lost. Get lost. <laughs>